Welcome back to STEM Fatal, your women in science history podcast. I'm your spooky oh, co-host, <laughs> Dr. Emlyn Gremlin. And I'm your uh, ghoulish co-host, Dr. Emma Dilemma. And we're back. Um, man, I should have made this a spooky up. But I forgot that it's October. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're doing the best we can. And yeah, I think lot. we were supposed to record this in September. So, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. We're, uh, you know, we've switched to a monthly schedule, yes. which will hopefully actually mean we do it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's been oh, well. a we bit crazy. Be yeah, may not be relevant to the time we <laughs> actually release it. But yeah, we got really, really busy and then my microphone broke. And so we yeah. are more delayed than we would like. But we are here and we are spooky. Yeah. I'm going to try to make some <laughs> spooky puns. It's not okay. going to go well, yeah. but I, what else do you want from me? Um. All right. Well, I do have a question that's not spooky. Okay. What? <laughs> and it is, Emlyn, if you could make a new form of matter. Okay, here. How can I make this spooky? I mean, it sounds a little even, spooky already. Maybe like uh, if you could concoct a new type of potion. Ooh. Not really. <laughs> um. <laughs> What kind of, what would the new form of matter be? <laughs> um, Look, I don't have an answer to this either. It's just my very bad question to lead into today's. Glue? Blue. Glue. Huh. Glue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought you said blue, and I was like, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, glue already is a type of matter, so it doesn't really count. Right. But if we could make blue a a type of matter, maybe that. Yeah, like a new type of glue, I guess. Like a a glue no one's ever seen before. (laughs) Yes. Cool. Yeah. Well, today, (laughs) (laughs) that's good. That's better than I could come up with. Um. Today's Lady of the Hour, physicist Deborah Jin, created two new forms of super cold matter during her life. So that's why I asked you that. Um, And they're very particular, and I'll get into what they are. Um, But yes, she studied super cold, like close to the most freezing temperatures you could ever, that ever exist, um, matter. So like not dry I know dry ice is not that cold but are we no, are we talking no. in way, the sim- way, way colder way way colder okay all right yeah. I'm you can't you can't touch it like a ghost 
Yes, 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 yes. It's like a ghost. <laughs> it's like a a, a spirit. No, it's not spiritual. Look, okay, let's get into it. We'll, <laughs> okay. we'll come up with better jokes. No, we probably won't. <laughs> don't don't give them false right. hope. Yeah, I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> okay, so today's lady of the hour, uh, Deborah S. Jin, known to many as Debbie, was born in Stanford, California mm. in 1968. Um, you know, shout out to Palo Alto, <laughs> where I grew up. But she actually grew up with her parents and two other siblings in Indian Harbor Beach, Florida. Um, Both of her parents were physicists, so a love or at least interest in the subject came somewhat naturally to Debbie. Um, And when she started college at Princeton, she decided to major in the subject. She... Graduated in 1994 after oh. completing her senior's thesis, which was titled, and this is, it gets confusing right away. I don't know that much about her childhood. We, we're just getting into complex physics. All right. So I'm, are you ready? <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for this, where my mental state is. I don't know why is. I always choose the complex physics. I, you know, it's just like I want to to challenge myself for some reason. I think but, those are good goals. Okay. This was her senior thesis as a college student. Oh, it was God. titled, A Condensation Pumped Dilution Refrigerator for Use in Cooling Millimeter Wave Bolometer Detectors. What? So sh- sh- that's <laughs> Did she make a fridge? You know what? Kind of. Okay. Okay. See, I took I took so, something away from that. Yeah. Yeah. She made a complex refrigerator to cool down something called a wave bolometer detector. <laughs> so a bolometer. So I literally had to like word by word, yeah. you know, yep. go through this. A bolometer is a device that detects radiation. Um, And it does that by determining if a material that could absorb radiation is heated or not after exposure to a possibly radioactive substance. Hmm. So, I mean, it's just like you take this thing, you expose it to radiation. Does it heat up? If yes, then... Um, or you expose it to something potentially radioactive. If it heats up, you know that thing is radioactive, basically. So it got it. Yes. So yeah, I feel like it's kind of similar to you know estimating like spirit energies. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a ghost. It's a ghost detector. Yeah, it's kind of like a radio- ghost detector. But yeah, like a paranormal activity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but instead of paranormal, it's radioactive. <laughs> radioactivity. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so these devices, bolometers, they work best if you cool them down, like, or they're most sensitive to radiation when they're cooled down hmm. to just above absolute zero, which is like the 
coldest temperature that exists in on earth or anywhere i think um so that's what she studied when she was 20 or 21 <laughs> um so basically already learning and researching technologies that are used to cool like co- these really complex physical devices you know yeah that's so she's very very smart yes it's impressive And for this thesis, she received the Alan G. Shenstone Prize from Princeton, which is given out to uh, really accomplished undergraduates at their university. And, okay, after graduating, then she started her PhD in physics at the University of Chicago. So she's in it. She's in it to win it. She loves physics. She's going for it, you know? Chicago, man. Her... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Chicago. Say no more. Um, Thomas, uh, her her advisor there was Thomas Rosenbaum. She had an NSF fellowship, which you know a little about. Um, it allows graduate students to work, you know, independently of their advisor and not, you know, necessarily have to spend time uh, working as a teaching assistant, but, you know, you can pursue other opportunities, etc., very prestigious. And it's there that she began learning about something called fermions. Have you ever heard of those? No, I mean, all the eons kind of just blend together in my head. Um, Have you heard of bosons? No. (laughs) Sounds like a dog. I've heard of them before. I don't remember where. There's like some kind of famous boson, I feel like. But, you know, whatever. Like a single um, famous boson? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Okay. Anyway, there. I'll tell you a little bit about Please them. Please do. So, and it's not, you know, fermion, like a fur, a monster <clears throat> covered in fur. Uh-huh. No, it's not like scary. that. I don't know. <laughs> no. So, fermions are a class of elementary particles, which includes particles like quarks, electrons. Now, I know you've heard of those. I've heard of those. Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, leptons. Those were new to me. A bunch of other stuff. And every particle in this class of fermion has an odd half integer spin. So, look. Listen. This is just... It has a half spin, a three half spin. It's just an odd half integer spin. That's that's all I can tell you. Okay. <laughs> um, it has to do with literally the way that they spin. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. I'm on it. The other class of elementary particles, which you may have heard of, oh wait, we already talked about this, is bosons, and it includes particles like photons. Um, And every particle in this class has a whole integer spin. So like one, two, three. Okay. Okay? Yes. Fermions, I'm really just, I had to break this down because I was like, what the what? Um, okay, fermions, they follow a principle called the Pauli exclusion principle, which says that 
no two fermions can occupy the same quantum state. So we're getting quantum okay. here. Like, basically, like, just imagine <clears throat> two electrons, they can't be in the same place at the same time. Yeah. Okay. When you do all that yeah. organic chemistry and you have yeah. the spaces, you can only have one in each. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that's why there are limits of how many electrons mm -hmm. can like fit into one energy level mm -hmm. when we talk about chemical elements and etc. Bosons, however, do not follow this rule. They follow the Bose-Einstein rule, which states that bosons can occupy the same quantum state. Okay, and this has to do with their spin, you know. Okay. <laughs> yes. And how they're spinning. Um, and because they have that whole integer spin, they can be in the same quantum state. Okay. All right. So um, at temperatures close to absolute zero, uh, gaseous bosons will actually begin to join the same quantum state and act as one piece of quantum matter. Okay. So. Uh, this is, I mean, I can't tell you anymore. Like, this is as simple I, as I can get. So when there's, when it gets really cold, things such as protons, the, the bosons that have yeah. that, like, whole integer spin, they start photons, acting. Photons. Like, in yeah. unison, in the same Yeah, space. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And so this is just some background, basically. It's going to get a little bit more complicated. So this is as basic as I can get, everyone. But together, bosons and fermions are particles that set the physical rules for pretty much everything. <laughs> okay. So, so these are important. They determine, yes. Yeah, they determine how elements are formed, how they interact with each other, and even up to how stars behave. So really, she's studying the most basic quantum mechanics of the universe, you know, which is pretty insane, mm -hmm. um, but very cool at its essence. So for, for Debbie's thesis, she studied uh, specifically how she studied fermions and uh, in particular heavy fermion superconductors or fermions that conduct electricity really, really well. Okay. After her PhD, she moved to Boulder, Colorado and got because she got a postdoctoral position in Eric Cornell's lab at the Joint Institute for Laboratory Astrophysics. Also known as the JILA, it's a really, really well-known, famous um, astrophysics lab in Colorado. And that year that she joined the lab, Eric Cornell and Carl Wyman, another researcher in the group, had just produced the first ever Bose-Einstein condensate. <laughs> so a Bose-Einstein condensate is... So when I talked about earlier how gaseous bosons will begin to form, will join 
the same quantum state at really, really cold temperatures, yes. right? Yep. Acting as one piece of quantum matter. That's what's called a Bose-Einstein condensate. Gotcha. And so theoretically, this concept had been discussed since the 1920s, but no one had ever been able to create one before this group created the rubidium bose einstein condensate. And this was in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, so the lab she's joining had essentially just created this new form of matter that had only been theoretically, like, proposed before. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. Um, And, yeah, and another researcher... Wolfgang Ketterly, around the same time, he produced another Bose-Einstein condensate from sodium atoms. Um, They all did this using new methods of cooling elements to incredibly low temperatures, and all three men would eventually win a Nobel Prize for their discoveries in 2001. So needless to say, she was joining, this is a bad pun, everyone, I'm sorry in advance, She was joining a hot field, or I guess very cold. (laughs) They had to make things really cold, but it was like... It was hot. It was like a really, yeah. I understood. uh, I I understood. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need to explain it. I mean, I didn't hear you laughing, though. Well, (laughs) that's my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay, so she was joining a lab that was, like, doing top-notch research, right? Like, cutting edge. Yes. Okay. Continue. Okay, so at first, she uh, she started off by just studying, um, describing the different physical properties of this newly created rubidium Bose-Einstein condensate. And two years later, though, she started her own research group at the lab within the Institute and set out trying to create a super cold fermion gas of atoms. Okay, now because fermions cannot theoretically occupy the same quantum state, Mm -hmm. getting them to be super cold is really, really difficult because they're forced to occupy states of higher and higher energy, okay? Okay. So she's like, how do I force these things into the same quantum state when they can't be in the same quantum state is what she's researching, which is like, whoa. Like my (laughs) mind is just like exploding at how anyone could even think that's possible, right? Yeah, yeah, so she she wanted to make a fermion condensate that acted like the boson condensates her collaborators had made. And so she had to figure out a way to make the fermion gas very, very cold, which she's like, we already know she's been studying how to make things extremely cold, right? Mm-hmm. That was like her PhD um, and even her her undergrad thesis so she's been studying this for a while to do this she and her first graduate student brian demarco they started building circuits lasers magnets all kinds of complex machinery essentially 
that they could use to cool Fermian atoms. Okay. And by 1997, they were able to create the first, or what's called the first degenerate Fermi gas, which essentially takes a bunch of Fermi particles and uses a lot of pressure or applies a lot of pressure to them such that all energy states below a certain threshold are filled. And so the gas almost behaves like a solid. Okay. So it's just applying so much pressure that it's hard for fermion particles to escape to higher Mm -hmm. quantum states. Like they're almost all in the same state, essentially. They're getting them very, very close to being in the same quantum state. So here are a couple quotes from this from this um, paper because I just I got so I was like I don't even know how to translate this. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, so let's see. And when they say quote, we magnetically cooled, oh uh, sorry, we magnetically confined and evaporatively cooled a gas of fermionic atoms, forty potassium. To temperatures T below 300 NK. So this is, um, could also be read as 0.0000003 Kelvin. (laughs) Okay. So So, only a few millionths of a degree above absolute zero. Gotcha. Um, Or... To translate, negative 459.67 degrees Fahrenheit. It's pretty cold. Yeah. So they use, like, magnets to, like, confine them, which I I can't even fathom how that works, you know? Yeah. But that's what they did. <laughs> um. Okay. And then another quote, our strategy for cooling... 40 potassium involves magnetically trapping two spin states of the fermionic species. What? Well, like I, I'm guessing what I'm thinking of for like, this may not be how it works, but I'm guessing like if you have a negatively charged atom and you surround it by positive, bad, uh, positive magnets, like, a whole cube yeah. of positive magnets, then it's going to push everything inwards. Yeah, it's something like that. Okay. And like using very strong, yeah. precise magnets mm-hmm. too, I believe. Um, okay. So, um, okay. So yeah, essentially they use a very complicated procedure. This is my translation. Yes. <laughs> Um, they use a very complicated procedure to control evaporation and force particles into energy levels they normally wouldn't go into on their own, mm-hmm. thus making a really, really dense gas of Fermi atoms. And so this was the first time anyone had ever made what's, um, what they called a, quote, Fermi sea of atoms, and let's see, this, it's not a new form of matter yet, but this paper has been widely cited for their procedures 
um, which are used and adapted to make other Fermi degenerate gases. And for this work, she received the Presidential Early Career Award in 2000. Very cool. So it was a really groundbreaking uh, project where they really engineered a whole new technique, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So her next project was figuring was was really getting to the next phase, which was figuring out how to actually form a condensate of Fermi particles or that, you know, basically like blanket of Fermi like you can make with bosons. Okay. So theoretically, um, they knew that this could occur because particle physicists had determined that electrons can form pairs which um, was a discovery that was important to understanding how some materials become superconductors. However, no one had ever been able to form electron pairs experimentally until Deborah Lynn and her lab did so in 2001. And so in 2003, they published their paper on this research titled Emergence of a molecular Bose-Einstein condensate from a Fermi gas. <laughs> um, okay, so essentially, again, they use these really complex methods using magnets um, and lasers and other things to pair fermions such that they acted like bosons. And in doing this, they created a new type of matter a super-cold fermionic condensate. So, isn't that crazy? She just made a new kind of matter. I can't even... (laughs) comprehend. Like... Yeah. There's terms like... I'm like, what is is matter? And then I'm I'm going down a bad spiral of... This is where physics always gets me because I have such a hard time visualizing any of it. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like, okay, so we're... Visual person. So the types of matter that you would... Like, I'm trying to be able to articulate what types of matter are that we would know versus to kind of put into context what she did. So types of matter would be what... Gas, liquid, solid, like things like that. That yeah. those are those are different types of matter. Yeah, they're just like different substances, basically. But not like I wouldn't say orange juice and water are different types of matter. Um like it's yeah, the it's like the how all of the atoms and elements are actually composed that makes them a different type of matter, like liquid, solid, gas. Those can be all the same, made of the same element, but it's how they are, like how the electrons in it, all the atoms are actually composed that makes them in those different matter forms, right? Yeah. Um, okay, I'm looking at Wikipedia. <laughs> yes, let us. 
Because, yeah, this is this is where I'm, like, trying to contextualize because it's, like, okay, like, is wood and, like, she didn't come up with, like, a new material. She came up with a new type of matter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, let's see. What is There's different definitions. Uh, one definition is just that matter is made up of atoms. <laughs> not helpful so like it says dna are matter under this definition because they're made of uh-huh. atoms ay, ay, ay. um a definition of matter more fine scale is that matter is made up of what atoms and molecules are made of so protons neutrons and electrons based on quarks then yeah you can base them on quarks you can base them on elementary fermions um so oh right, like is it a different state of matter this is i guess this might so like the states of matter are solid liquids gases and plasma so is it a different state of matter i guess yeah because i mean it's what is matter? <laughs> blowing my mind. This this is where I've been tripped up in like trying to contextualize it. Physics. It must oh, be different. Oh, 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 states of matter for chem for kids. I think this is okay, going to answer. Yes, yes, yes. This is what we need. This is what we need. Yes. There are five states of matter, solids, liquids, gases, plasmas, and Bose-Einstein condensates. There it is. There we go. So it's a different okay. state so, of matter. Yeah. And so, right. And then I think you can get finer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is... Basically, like, different types of liquids, like, you know, different types of gases, etc. And so she essentially discovered a different type of Bose-Einstein condensate. Gotcha. Okay. Which is a fermionic condensate. Mm -hmm. Which is actually not even a Bose-Einstein condensate. Because it's a fermionic condensate. Yeah. Okay, so there we, so we'll say there's six be, states of matter. Yeah, yeah. it might mm-hmm. even be that Chem for Kids doesn't know about fermionic. <laughs> they might not. They are behind the times. I mean, how could they not? I've known about this for all of two or three weeks. How could they not know? <laughs> um. Yes, yeah, so everything I read said it's a new type of matter. Okay. So I'm just going to go with that. Yes. You know, yeah. Um, are we, do we, do we feel okay with this? I feel like good. I feel good about this matter? now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like, where does it, you were just like, what are other categories of matter? Yeah. Basically? I wanted to see, like, yeah, is it a substance, like, did she make a new type of substance, like, you know, where we yeah yeah or is it like a new because no this is good yeah matter is like a whole I'm glad it's a much larger kind of scope than being like yes i made a different type of clay or something like that right 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 yeah no i think i do think it's different from a bose einstein mm-hmm. condensate 
but it acts like a Bose-Einstein condensate. Gotcha. If that but it's a fermion. Sense. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Um. So this had uh, essentially remarkable implications for the study of superconduct superconductivity, so things that conduct electricity really well, and for the quantum physics of things like neutron stars. <laughs> okay. You know, just like little things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially now that they could create this type of extremely cold matter in the lab. Mm-hmm. And so... For this work, she received a MacArthur Award, which is also known as the Genius Grant, sort of colloquially, Mm -hmm. right? Um, After this, she started working with another colleague at the JILA, uh, Jun Yi, and they were interested in creating a quantum gas of ultra-cold polar molecules. So that is... um, Instead of making these very cold gases from one type of atom, they wanted to see if they could make a super cold gas from two types of atoms. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So let's see. Why would they do this? So one article said that this discovery would have, quote, potential applications in quantum computing precision measurement, and designer chemistry. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So in their study, Deborah, June, and their other collaborators combined potassium and rubidium, so two atoms with different charges, that's making them polar. Okay. Um, and they trapped them with a laser beam. Okay. And then swept a magnetic field across the mixture. (laughs) I mean, this stuff is so crazy. Like, I can't even believe people this smart exist. I'm just like, what? I get really excited when I'm like, oh, I use a GoPro for my research. Like, I'm pretty fancy. And then we talk about physics and... I know. Like, it's okay. just a whole nother level. Yeah. Just child's play. Um, and so, yeah. So <laughs> they trap them with the laser beam, sweep a magnetic field across. And doing this, the atoms bind together. Um, they bound together weakly, but they did, which is like a big accomplishment, essentially. And so then they had to figure out how to condense them into that same ultra-cold, low-energy state, like the Bose-Einstein condensate, and um, just because that would make them a lot easier to study. So to do this, oh my gosh, this is so crazy, Emily. (laughs) To do this, they used two lasers that resonated at different frequencies. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so through this... Uh, the molecules released energy until they were in that lower energy state. Okay. And so, um, again, she had created a new form of matter. (laughs) So, an ultra-cold, a quantum gas of ultra-cold polar molecules is what she made. 
And there's not really a name for this. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't roll off the tongue, I will say. No, it's not as good as the fermionic sea of atoms. Yeah, Forbes Um, says there are six states of matter. The Bose-Einstein condensates and the fermionic condensates. Oh, hey, okay. But they don't say a quantum gas of ultra-cold polar molecules? No, they're not. They are still behind. They're farther (laughs) along than chem for kids, but not up to our (laughs) level. It's because it's not catchy enough. What what should they have named this? Like a quant pole or something? Like polar gas? I don't know. Well, we're not going to, obviously we're not going to come up with it. I guess spooky gas. (laughs) Spooky gas. No, wait, can you give me the, um, can you say it again? I need to write this out. Quantum gas, quantum gas of ultra cold polar molecules. Q gump. Gup. No. Yep. No, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So after this, Deborah and June, they continued studying the quantum physics and chemistry of this new form of matter, so ultra-cold polar molecules, yep, yep. and she continued to receive many prestigious awards. <clears throat> Excuse me. Including the L'Oreal UNESCO Award for Women in Science, the Comstock Prize in Physics, the APS Maria Gopert Mayer Award, uh, APS is an American Physics Society, I think, uh, the APS II Rabi Prize, and the Isaac Newton Medal of the Institute of Physics. And Um, Many say she should have won a Nobel Prize for her discovery of these two types of ultra-cold matter. I would think so. Yeah, and I think she would have. Um, Unfortunately, though, she died in 2016 at the age of 47 after a long battle with cancer. So just really, really young and it's just so sad because she was obviously such a genius and like um, amazing researcher. The Nobel, um, her the, students, the Nobel Prize people need to change their rules. I don't understand why they seem to not give awards to people who have deceased, but <clears throat> yeah, like. Even just they don't have to give them the money or like give it to their family or something. But acknowledge them as their con- the contribu- yeah. contributions that they gave. Right, exactly. It's really silly. Like after um, Rosalind Franklin, I feel like we sh- yeah, should have realized that should've. this was bad. Yeah, I agree. Especially because people won did win Nobel Prizes for the exact thing she discovered. Yes. You know, that was like a, an especially egregious. Yes. Um, yeah, oversight. <sighs> okay, continue. Anyway, yeah. Her, uh, Deborah's students and colleagues described her as extremely generous, determined, confident, and careful in her work. She promoted collaboration and she promoted women in science. 
Her lab, the JILA, they actually had a festival in 2018 called the Gin Fest, Aww. where um, over 100 physicists came out to celebrate her legacy over two days in Colorado. That sounds so which nice. Which says a lot. A hundred yeah. physicists, like, she was well-known and well-liked. What What do you um, call a group husband- of physicists? Like, uh... You know, there's a murder of crows. What's a... A quantum? A, qu- <laughs> a physicist? A, uh, a condensate of physicists? Yes, a condensate. That's good. <laughs> okay, continue. They formed a condensate. They form a condensate. Um, what, can, what can we say? Yeah. Her husband, John Bone... Uh, who was also a physicist that collaborated with Deborah mm. on many of her um, accomplishments. Just now learning he about said this man. That, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I don't know where he fits in. Where did um, he come to from? Which projects? I think what they worked together at the JILA. So okay. she probably met him in Colorado. That's where she did like most of her most of her work, gotcha. right? Yeah. So I think they just both worked there. Okay. Um, but he said that Deborah encouraged her students to act like fermions, pursuing their own interests and individuality. <laughs> and, Unless they were super um, cold, and then you need to find a buddy yeah, right? ASAP. And forced under pressure into <laughs> being in the same quantum state. I feel like that's grad school. See, we get it. You know, yeah, forced exactly. under pressure to be all yeah together. To be alike, mm-hmm. yeah, to work together. Um, and so, th- yeah, that is the story of Deborah Jin. That was and great. I... Unfortunately, too short, you know. Yeah, well, when you said that she yeah. was born in, or she went to... 68, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, man. Right. Oh, hello, Luna. Yes, we are still recording. Oh, Bye, Luna. Puppy. Her favorite thing is to just bust down the doors. I love that. And then leave. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So cute. Um, she's the best. She's such a cutie. Um, yeah, that was great. I, I think you did a really good job trying to take us. I'm glad we clarified it. matters. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. That's um, good. But yeah, that's awesome. And now we can say we know yeah. more than uh, Chem for Kids, so. Yeah, and Forbes. And Forbes. We know about a whole other state of matter that Forbes <laughs> doesn't even know. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, that was awesome. Cool. Maybe the, yeah. Nobel, the Nobel Prize Committee will change their tune. Yeah, they should. Two forms of matter. I know. I mean, That's there's only, yeah, especially yeah. considering there's only like only seven, seven, Just a yeah. large proportion so. of them. <laughs> work, 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 work. This is our women who work section where we give out shout outs to badass ladies making history today. Woo woo. Um, today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about my shout out this week goes to Dr. Addie Uterini for being one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2021. Whoa. 
And so Dr. Adi Uderini is an Indonesian public health researcher, and she works on the control of dengue fever. So I know we're all in COVID mode, but there are also a lot of other diseases that we got to work on. Yeah, it's very Um, true. And so she's a professor of public health in the Department of Health and Policy Management in, I'm going to butcher this, and I apologize in advance, um, Gaja Mata University in Yogyakarta, uh, Indonesia. And she wow. was previously selected as one of Nature's 10. So I guess Nature, uh, they have an annual list of 10 scientific researchers who mattered every year. And so she was in their wow. Nature's 10 for that. 2020. Um, okay. And she was She's still top. Top, 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 top. Yep. <laughs> so n- both of these awards, the Time Magazine, 100 Most Influential People, and also yeah. Nature's 10, um, this is based on this large randomized control trial that she used oh. um, using Wolbachia inoculated mosquitoes as a prevention oh, technique nice. against dengue. Yeah, I've heard of, I mean, I like worked with a guy who was, uh, was researching that. Yeah, you worked on Wolbachia in yeah undergrad or, right? Undergrad? Yeah, yeah, in undergrad and when I was a lab technician at UC Davis, nice. I worked with uh, Torelli, who was, he like was a population geneticist studying uh, the spread of Wolbachia and population and like insect population. I didn't realize you worked with Torelli. And worked with the guy. Yeah, he worked with the guy who kind of like started the whole mosquito Wolbachia inoculation stuff mm. in Australia. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So she, uh, so essentially, if you're unfamiliar with Wolbachia, um, it is what? It's a bacteria. Yeah. So it's, a bacteria, yeah, and it when it inf- infects mosquitoes, it prevents the mosquitoes from passing viruses to their yeah like blood meal hosts. Um, so that includes things yeah, like dengue. It, yeah, it like outcompetes other infections essentially. So like it's harder for mosquitoes to become infected with dengue or have a really high dengue infection mm-hmm. because it takes up so much host, you know, cellular machinery, essentially, that other bacteria or viruses have a hard time replicating within the host. Gotcha. So it's like competition between these two pathogens within the mosquitoes. Yeah. Kind of like if you have a common cold you're probably not going to catch the flu at the same time because mm. your body is like fighting off the cold. So you're not going to catch another virus while you have, while you're infected with a virus. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So essentially the study that she did, um, this big randomized control trial that she did in Indonesia, they found that, um, it reduced dengue fever by 77%, like, in the field. Wow. So this was a field study. That's crazy. Yeah. 
And so as this disease can cause roughly 400 million infections and 25,000 deaths annually, this work has some staggering implications for using Wabakia to control dengue. Um, Yeah, yeah. that's actually probably one of the more successful trials. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I don't I don't know the exact I didn't look into the exact details, but it was definitely like a field trial in Indonesia. So actually showing how many people are getting infected when you put Wabakia into mosquito Wabakia infected mosquitoes into certain areas. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I love a good um, scientist hundred most influential people, Time magazine. Um, so yeah, so my shout yeah, out goes to Dr. Addy yeah. Uderini. And she's yeah, still still working on this in Indonesia. So it's really awesome. It's really, I'll just say like, uh, it's really, really hard because when they release these mosquitoes, you have to like have a specific strain of the Wolbachia bacteria that's going to infect the whole mosquito population Mm -hmm. they're not like releasing millions of mosquitoes right yeah they're releasing a few hundred and the wabakia has to be able to spread throughout the natural populations it's really really complicated Mm -hmm. and the wabakia has to be able to fight off the strain of dengue that's present in that area which not all Wolbachia strains can outcompete yeah. dengue strains. So it's really complicated to get the right Wolbachia strain for the dengue in the region. Like it's, it hasn't been successful everywhere. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a really, I'm glad she figured out how to get that to work. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point of like how specific. It yeah. needs to be, you need to have the Wabakia strain that's going to both be good at infecting new local hosts and also out-competing yeah. the local strains of dengue. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, that's, cool. that's my shout that's out. Awesome. I love it. Ooh. Yeah, this is great. Um, it's not very spooky, but guys... Folks, <laughs> that's it. That's that was my pleading. Uh, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Uh, yes. Make your own spooky yeah. times. Boo. Yeah. No, no boo. No booing. <laughs> Just, no, like a like boo. Like not mm. boo. Okay. Like <laughs> ghost boo. Not like you suck boo. That's- anyway. <laughs> We hope you have a great week, I guess, month. Yes. Um, what do we usually say? Um, thanks to Artichoke uh, yes, for our awesome theme music, is. Caitlin Friesen for our awesome art. And as always, or as usual, or as we used to do back when we last recorded, yeah. you can go stimulate yourself. Yourself. In a spooky way. Ooh. <laughs> All right, we gotta go. There we Goodbye. Did it. <laughs>